Namaste. So today we take up the next part of the synthesis, which is the yoga of integral knowledge. The word knowledge is used in a very specific and special sense in yoga. Like every other word, works are used in a different sense. Uh, love is used in a different sense. Ananda is used in a different sense. Then we commonly use these words because. Um, our usage of words is limited by our human experience so when we use the word knowledge our human experience is that we gather data through the senses we analyze it sift it see it and eventually we infer about what could be the possible cause or what could be the reality behind it that is the way ordinarily knowledge is gathered and as we gather the knowledge we build systems systems of philosophy systems of thought even scientific knowledge all this is gathered through this way but yoga starts with the premise that there is a greater reality which the mind cannot reach that's how the kin upanishad puts it yan mansa na manute yena hur manomatam tadeva brahman tvam vidhi nedam yadidam upasate so and it's very logical if you want to put it like that that there is one reality and out of which this whole creation has emerged and in the process of creation mind has emerged so mind is a product of that and not vice versa though uh, to the surface appearances people often say that you know god is a creation of the human mind because that's looking at things from below upward but yoga says that there has to be one origin which is logical that origin having burst into billions of stars with so much of you know creation uh, which is um, mind boggling literally mind boggling full of wonder full of beauty full of surprise and yet there is a directionality it's not the work of just some human mind we may use the word cosmic mind but that's a different story altogether uh that will be a different subject altogether but yoga implies that there is a greater knowledge a higher truth which the mind cannot understand but by which the mind can be understood so it's not disconnected from the mind and the world but by that the world and mind can be understood better so this is the premise then just like in the yoga of divine works we turn all our energies which are in multiple efforts from morning to evening we are doing various efforts from getting ready going for office in our various relationships then you know doing certain mundane works other kinds of works ethical works philanthropic works all these are done with different different motives but in the yoga works we turn them into one motive and that motive is um, serving the divine worship of the divine adoration of the divine so all works the motive changes and shifts and they are no more means for egoistic pleasure and satisfaction but a means of serving the eternal so also in yoga of knowledge we see how our thought functions now knowledge is seeking of the mind so mind seeks for knowledge but our process and method is through the senses gather the data analyze by the mind and it doesn't require much intelligence to understand that the senses are very much flawed and imperfect and limited in gathering of data so our very first thing is wrong but that's how we build systems of knowledge and even when the thought frees itself from gathering the sensory data yet its observation of the world its understanding is deeply flawed because we carry many inherent biases within us habits of thinking which are influenced by the collectivity by religion by various things so first and first thing which is required in the 
you know yoga of uh, integral knowledge is just like in works we have to practice nishkam karma so that things which tie us to the extreme uh, uh, results so here also we have to free the mind from all kinds of conceptions we have of truth if we want to arrive at one reality we have to free ourselves from all these conceptions in which religions and ideologies bind the truth so the, that's why religion cannot find truth it can only believe in it so we can believe in a religion or not believe in religion but it it has already reduced truth to a limited formula uh, to a rigid dogma to a formal uh, way of thinking and so also with philosophies and various uh, you know systems of thought ideological etc they cannot find truth because they have already put a bar between under human understanding or belief and the truth so we have to get freed from all this that's why something like iconoclasm has its own place in the seeking for truth because we have to get rid of many of these things then on top of these conceptions there are our inherent emotional biases that's why shubhendra speaks of purified understanding for instance we want truth to be very comfortable so we say god is you know so loving and kind and then when we see people dying immediately it challenges our conception of god and then we hastily draw a conclusion that well either god doesn't exist or he is actually unkind whereas what we should do is to try to understand his ways with the world but because of the inherent bias what what if for god there is you know death has no meaning and no reality he looks at a much greater thing but we instead of trying to understand god we want god to understand us well he understands us very much and responds to that but our heart strings which have drawn a figure of god of the beloved of the lover that's why many people when they read the gita they are completely flabbergasted when shri krishna declares himself uh, on the battlefield of kurukshetra that i am the lord of all existence and then he says i am kala i am time the destroyer so people often ask what is this what what krishna is this so there is first a description of krishna in his totality but here we have the secret in this one canto uh, of the gita one chapter there is the vision of the integral reality in fact if you look at the preceding chapter vibhuti yog and this when shri krishna appears as kala so there is the anabhivyakta the unexpressed reality of the divine and the second is when it expresses itself in time so in the gita's visharup there is the unexpressed reality which is all pervading in which everything goes and out of which everything emerges it is full of beauty and delight and it's jyotirmay but also it expresses itself in the dance of time and on the battlefield it has expressed itself in the uh, will of destruction i am kalosmi bhava i am the will to destroy these people so but we have these conceptions that you know god is only the savior well many times he destroys to save so that's his way so this is how we have to free the mind of all these conceptions these heart strings similarly our will we want to you know have a god who is the fulfiller of our desires and indeed god does that that reality does that but that reality can even snatch away from us even the last straw to which we are holding as shrubindo says providence is not only that that's which saves me when all others have capsized in a boat how conveniently we discover oh god was very kind to me what about others so he says providence is also that which snatches away from me the last straw of hope while all others are saved so we have to have a very wide conception to start with an integral conception of the reality so what is that integral conception of the reality 
uh, one conception of reality which is very partial is God has nothing to do with the universe. He is transcendent. He is beyond everything. Which is the Buddhist conception and certain ways it's also Shankara's conception. So what about the world? It is the creation of Maya, an illusion and come out of it and experience that transcendence or annul yourself into it. Now this is a partial conception of reality. Indeed he is transcendent. He exceeds all things. He is the original reality. But what about the cosmos and creation? This is also an extension of him. As the Upanishad puts it, as a spider takes out, the entire web emerges from the spider. So this universe is also an extension. The world is extended God. So there is the unexpressed, unformless, that which is beyond all conception. But he also enters into this creation. So the next level of the divine is, he is the cosmic reality. So he is also the cosmos. He has become the cosmos. Now cosmos, unlike the transcendent, we see in cosmos everything is getting constantly in motion because cosmos is constantly evolving. The material scientist will tell us that, you know, everything is changing. It's a open-ended system. The positive entropy, if you want to put it in purely scientific terms, but it's only about the material world. And then in that process from the one into the cosmos, we discover there is not one cosmos, but there are several layers through which the reality uh, you know, enters into the place. So we have the entire system of worlds, the levels of consciousness, all this is part of an integral knowledge. So we are not happy just by discovering the divine who is above and beyond and within, but also his entire play. When Shurabindu was asked, uh, you know, someone asked uh, Raman Maharishi that Shurabindu speaks of coming of the supramental down. So what do you have to say? He says, but uh, divine is everywhere. What is there to come down? There is no above and no below. Now, this is one kind of traditional uh, knowledge, divine knowledge. It is a truth, but it's half the truth. So Shurabindu beautifully replied when the person asked him to comment upon it. <laughs> there was somebody who would play the <laughs> role of back and forth. Shurabindu says, yes, 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 the divine is everywhere, but he also manifests himself differently on different planes. For example, in the mind, one can have a realization of the divine reality. One can have, a, at the level of mind, the realization of a free and cosmic intelligence of the self. But it is not the realization of the self that one would have in the supramental purity. So there are several levels and layers. And there are several modes of working of the divine. But these are the three which we must uh, you know, experience simultaneously. One is the transcendent, which is beyond everything. Then the cosmos in which there is an unfolding going on and then there is the individual reality. Then there is also another way, uh, you know, in yoga of knowledge, there is much talk about meditating and entering into samadhi. So in traditional yoga, samadhi is a state where we again go from the waking to the dream world into that superconscious state, the puna pragya, where we lose ourselves. Now, Shurabindu looks at it again as a partial approach because when we enter into Samadhi, we do not bring, there is no report of what's, what about this world. At the most, people say that we experience bliss, we experience light, uh, that too, very often even that is forgotten. But this world is one reality, there is no second reality. So the yoga of integral knowledge bridges this gap. How does it bridge the gap? So again, in, in, in terms of knowledge, we have this fourfold, um, you know, fourfold levels or fourfold ways of being of the one reality, Chatushpad Brahman. So one is the ultimate, which spoke about the transcendent. And then there is a state in which 
the from the transcendent the entire there is a concentration chaitanya ghan a state in which all the great truths which have to be manifested is gathered within the purna pragya that wisdom ultimate wisdom and then it is released into creation first through the series of subtle worlds so these subtle worlds are called as dream worlds hiranyagarbha and then it enters into the waking state the virat the outer consciousness so in in shobindo's yoga one has to now normally what happens when we withdraw from one into the another we lose contact with the other so when we enter into the dream worlds it is called as sabikalp samadhi wherein we you know it's like a person who is dreaming when he is dreaming he is not aware of the outer reality then comes the deep sleep in which one has gone beyond the dream world but one is not aware of the dream world it's not that dream is not going on several things are going on but one is not aware now in this yoga because this entire thing has to be bridged one becomes more and more conscious of that reality in everything even in our waking state so here the samadhi is not just in a state of indrawness of trance but samadhi is a state in which even the waking consciousness is aware of the sachidanand and mother puts it very beautifully in number of her experiences she says you know when she would close the eyes sometimes so people thought that you know she is now in that state and they would you know sometime look here there sometime they look at the watch clock uh, it's very difficult to stay all the time concentrated sometimes she would go into what people called as trances for 45 minutes sometimes while blessing someone or giving a flower all this so one day she said you think that i am not aware when i am in that state i am aware even of the ticking of the clock and all your thoughts and everything that is going on and one of the things when she came and told shirbindo when she came in the beginning that what is this samadhi <laughs> because she was conversant with the experience of the ultimate reality and all the layers in the waking state she said what is this samadhi which is described so much in the uh, indian yoga i have never experienced so shirbindo said because you have gone beyond the traditional yoga you have gone beyond the yoga of the upanishads and then he said as an aside that even i don't experience it like that because i experience the totality total reality so first thing is that there is one reality without a second but this one reality ekamevidvityam is not cut off from the world it is the one there is not, nothing else so what is all this that we see all around this is the distortions that have taken place due to the one reality coming through layers passing through gods through titans the zigzag of creation and that is the difference between shurbindo's uh, you know um, knowledge i won't use the word conception but experience and um, the shankaras and buddhas way of uh, ex- explaining the world so according to what is understood of shankara i am not going into what shankara said that's a discussion apart but according to what is understood of shankara this world is an illusion and there is one reality ekame vidyutyam but according to shurbindo there is only one reality but it is a, this, this world is a distortion so this distortion comes because of a complex play of forces now integral knowledge includes all this it is not just the knowledge of the fundamental divine self or enlightenment of the transcendent uh, even if there is a glimpse it changes everything very powerful but it is a knowledge of all the countless forces not like one by one but a comprehension of the play and its complexity of the various ways in which divine is working in the world and behind everything to see the divine play even in ignorance even in the play of darkness so that's what he you know uses the term that you know how these two are uh, one goes beyond the duality and sees the one everywhere in and everything that's why the word used is oneness 
So oneness is not something which blanks out everything. Oneness is, that's why it is not one, but oneness. So oneness is to see the one in the myriad infinite play and movements of this world. So when in each event, circumstances, happening, person, we are able to see the one, then we are living in oneness. When behind the imperfect and limited human play of love, of intelligence, of works and will, uh, behind all the striving, struggle, suffering, we are able to see how it is one, one reality. There is one love which takes, enters the human channel and distorts itself. It's not one person loving another. It is the divine playing with himself through the power of love and connecting with this creation. It's not my power versus your power. It's one power which, you know, leaps in the tiger, which runs in the deer, which uh, builds up the thought, which dives into the heart. This is but one power. There are no two powers. And that becomes this myriad play of powers. So that is the oneness towards which uh, the yoga of integral knowledge moves. So how do we proceed towards that? The basic process is the same. Right now our thought is distributed into many things. If all the time we watch all the news of how many numbers, <laughs> we can either count all the numbers of different kinds or we can go to the one. So the mind has to learn to this discursive intellect as the Gita puts it, Bahu Shakhanam, the buddhi which is all the time into various objects. So morning we start by saying gratitude to the mother. Then our thought goes on to some people put on the news and say, Oh my God, you know, so many people had Corona. Now from there they get a phone call. So the mind runs into another direction. Even these events don't have to happen. Look at a tabletop discussion on a dining table. And it's an elementary practice. That if the mind is going in a different direction, if there are 10 people, the first person starts a topic about how is the food. And by the time you are at the end of the table, it is about the political situation in the world and they, they are fighting with each other. So, because we don't know how to concentrate the mind. So, the first thing necessary, just as in works, it is concentration of the will. Here it is concentration of the thought, of the mind, of the discerning intellect. So how do we do it? The first thing is the discerning intellect, the buddhi. And what buddhi has to do? It has to pull the sensory mind inwards. You know, that's the image of the Gita, that all the senses are the steeds which are carrying us. So we are like those persons who say, wherever the steeds are carrying us, we'll go. Imagine a person sits into a taxi and the taxi fellow says, Jana hai? where do you have to go? It doesn't matter, you take wherever you feel like. Well, this man... <laughs> He will take us wherever he feels like. Imagine how dangerous it is. But that's how our life is driven. From senses to senses. From one moment to one appearance to another. We are jumping from appearances. All through we are dealing with appearances. So these senses have to be restrained. By what? By the mind. How do we restrain by the mind? Through the practice of Sanyama. In Raja Yoga it is Yama Niyama. Sanyama means when... The, to start with, the senses, the sensory mind will make us flow. But apply restraint. It's not an unbridled license for anything and everything. The mind must be able to withdraw at will from anything. Be it even the most favorite food. So somebody is enjoying the food, you should be able to immediately disengage. You know, it's like in military. If you are eating food and there is a command for, uh, you know, marching on, you just leave everything and go. You get up and go. because So this is the training which mind has to develop. And the second is the use of the discerning intellect which is even higher than the ordinary 
physical mind so discerning intellect nature has evolved in us to help us in in the yoga and the choices we have we make so the reins of the horses are the mind and mind is the sixth sense so it is the master sense and uh, the driver the charioteer is the buddhi so what the buddhi has to do it has to keep reminding the mind and the it has to pull the rein no no i have to go there i have to go there i have to go there <laughs> so it can't uh, you know if the buddhi goes to sleep then the reins become weak and the horses take a good the horses will go wherever you know and suddenly we'll wake up and find we are in the abyss so constantly the buddhi has to exercise restraint on the steeds which are running helter skelter and how does it exercise restraint one simple practice which the mother gives is step back step back and constantly think that what is of real value in life every day countless choices we make so we can choose between the eternal and the transient this is the first step then we have to choose the eternal within the transient that's the second step so eternal and the transient means this entire play all the appearances which are happening first step is to disengage from that and to discover and focus only on the eternal the mind has to learn to withdraw as as the gita puts it there is a practice in raj yoga pratyahar so like a tortoise one withdraws from that one is opening the eyes but one is not uh, uh, seeing the appearances <laughs> one is looking at what is behind the appearances so the raj the concentration in in, in the way of knowledge can be done both within as well as in the world any object if we look deep we pass beyond the object to the reality it could just be a tree or a stone doesn't matter or a river or the sky and a point comes when we don't let our mind fall on the object and grasp it by the sense we pass beyond it so this is the method used either ways we can do it both inside as well as outside because the reality is everywhere and in everything this is the integral conception of reality we can't shut god into a formula or uh, you know shut him into a period of time that this was the time when god appeared the one and only time he appeared the one and only book he created for all ages and all times certainly not god would not be such a fool to do it because he knows that humanity changes so therefore we see that prophets avatar they have to keep coming this is the beautiful thing about sanatan dharma people often say that it has many books yes of course because sanatan dharma admits evolution it doesn't say that uh, you know mankind was born um, 5000 or 2500 or whatever year back in a particular desert land and it stopped there it does, didn't grow any more so there is a point of time when certain temporal things are necessary for instance there was a time when children were taught they had a list of do's and don'ts that never included tv that never included mobile phones <laughs> but now it is there so now new new ways of dealing with the problem comes so first is focusing on the eternal and not the transient then the next step is the eternal in the transient so to take an example don't use the mobile phone that is differentiating the eternal and the transient for a yogin i am saying no 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 nothing just be focused on the one the other is use the mobile phone to receive there to that eternal and to transmit the eternal so then in everything one approaches shun human life to discover the eternal because human life everything is a transient passing show the other approaches manifest the eternal in every activity of human life 
every aspect of human life so that is called discovering the eternal in the transient so every moment of time should become a time beat of the eternal every event should be a grand disclosure of the divine in everyday life while moving while i think sometime abhi we were seeing certain things no we had suddenly that grand disclosure i have forgotten also you 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 walk by and you will see so many times the same play day and night you realize that it is knowledge and ignorance moon the symbol of the spiritual light so uh, those who lived with that consciousness they could see the divine reality manifesting everywhere look at child to elderly just to give one example see we start as a child in the womb we end up as a child watch anybody who is you know 80s 90s most people they are some absolutely fit but still in many ways they become like a child so we start with the helplessness of a child in ignorance we end up with the child full of wonder and surrendered completely to the divine mother so this is the whole journey starts with surrender ends with surrender an elderly person has no choice but to surrender however <laughs> arrogant he may be at the end he says that somebody has to look after me so but in that if he is a yogi he does it with this idea that all hands that tend me are hands of the divine so this is the whole journey so first the thought has to disengage from surface events there must be the will shobindu says thought is a paraclete it's a bird which goes and comes back and reports it's like a drone so drone takes images and brings back to us we see the images that's not the real journey so by analysis and you know what is called as vichar vivek observation and analysis we cannot find the reality it can give us a glimpse or rather a hint of the reality for example we can analyze and discern and use the discriminatory intellect and understand that none of this is solid it doesn't require vedanta to understand this it's all atoms when i was reading physics as a 15 year old i knew that there is no ego all this is nothing but a play because you see it is atoms what we call as ourselves intelligence parents nature body parents nature everything is parents and nature so even if you don't believe in god you end up saying nothing is really mine so one thing one knows that there is nothing which is mine it doesn't require you know want to dwell into this much vichar and vivek will lead us to but then at the end of the day then what is me that it cannot do it can take us to the foothills of the uh, you know magnificent divine summits but beyond that it cannot so while it was easy to discover that there is um, this all this that i experience as me and table and you know water this is not the reality but nothing could tell me what is reality so i thought it's all nature so i still remember uh, in that state of agnosticism meeting my mama ji who was a devout you know ramayan bhakt so uh, nobody would answer my question logically so when i went to him i said all this is nature isn't it this is the whole uh, doctrine he smiled and said ha beta prakriti hai lekin prakriti ke swami bhi hain all this is nature but this is the lord of the nature now he didn't tell me logically <laughs> but it hit very hard because it came from a space of realization that if there is nature there has to be a lord of nature who governs these million activities who is that lord now from there we can start logically through but vichar and um, vivek can lead us to that point that there is a lord of nature who that lord is i cannot so to find that lord the yoga of integral knowledge starts by concentrating the mind upon a single idea 
this idea could be a name which would be more personal or it could be a uh, just an idea it doesn't matter it could be the idea of love and then slowly we see after a point when the mind concentrates upon the idea lets the entire mental consciousness run around the idea then a time comes when the truth of love begins to disclose itself and that's when when we see mother kali destroying the world with a you know khadag we say this is the divine mother's love because we have meditated upon the idea of love and we can see love there that's when we see krishna standing in his you know uh, many armed many mouth and devouring the world we say this is love because you are cleansing this world of all that is dark and impure and paving the ground and new for a new creation so by meditating upon an idea it could be just the idea of the divine so uh, what is that idea of the divine the mind needs support because when we use the word divine it is still vague so shobindu says the idea given in the isha upanishad is the best and the idea is god is in all all is in god and god is all now this requires you know atmai va bhut vijanata every little element zarra zarra atom of existence is nothing else but divine in his outwardness that's why he says in savitri this world is god fulfilled in outwardness but again the human mind can understand it ignorantly or with the true experience so intellectual knowledge has this big problem all is god okay good doesn't matter whether i am duryodhana or arjuna now here we must understand there is the essential truth of god which is same it is not stained by duryodhana or or nor glorified by arjuna सूर्यो यथा सर्वलोकस्य चक्षु नालिप्यते चाक्षुषे बाह्य दोष एको वशी सर्वभूतांतरात्मा नालिप्यते लोक दुखे न बाह्य यस इट इज ट्रू बट द डिवाइन इन मैनिफेस्टेशन इज मेनी लेयर्ड मेनी टायर्ड सम प्लेसेस इज मोर मैनिफेस्ट सम प्लेसेस इज हिडन सम प्लेसेस इज डिस्टॉर्डेड सम प्लेसेस इज कवर्ड सम प्लेसेस इज शाइनिंग ट्रांसपेरेंट एंड रिस्प्लेंडेंट सो वी हैव टू अंडरस्टैंड द मैनिफेस्टेशन एंड देन वी सी दैट वाई श्री कृष्णा सेज इन द गीता among the pandavas i am in arjuna among the vrishnis i am krishna himself <laughs> among the uh, those with parosh uh, you know strength i am rama so this means that there is in this universe a graded hierarchical manifestation that's what the vibhuti yog is about vibhuti yog is not like i am everything i am everything that's how some people summarize the vibhuti yog then we did not use the word vibhuti yog that is described elsewhere in the gita when he speaks about adhiyagna adibhuta adideva but here he is saying that in the entire manifestation i bring out the best i bring out the highest the noblest and then we understand even genius is an effort of the divine to break the mold of nature so wherever we see a preeminence of a quality king arishchandra preeminence of a quality where he honors his promise to an extent where he is willing to lose everything but not give up on his promise or king shivi where he you know is willing to sacrifice everything for that matter even bhishma he stands steadfast on what he believes in so all preeminences and of course arjuna the skilled scion of the pandava family all these preeminences are nothing but the divine in manifest vasuki what is the ultimate uh, you know uh, story of serpent serpent is the serpent of evolution that's why serpent is the middle link between 
water and the sky <laughs> he is the one uh, through whom one day it will fly into the sky so serpent is the symbol of evolution but its ultimate origin is vasuki so shri krishna says among the serpents i am vasuki not the indian naga not the black cobra vasuki nobody has seen him but he is everywhere in the world <laughs> behind him is shiva so this this is how we he reveals that in everything there is the divine not only as an essence but in manifestation that's why the vibhuti yog and in manifestation he is bringing out constantly the best so then we understand this play in the world what is this play in the world shri krishna reveals that it is lok sangraharth it is the moving forward of the march of civilizations now you see we can see the divine expressing in a beat of time we can see him in the entire march of civilization we can discover him in an atom of existence a nucleus and the dance of energy swirling in space he is there in that atom we can see him in the vastness and the drifting of the galaxies the same dance going on so this is how this integral knowledge begins to develops in the seeker provided the mind is enamored of the eternal and no more glued to all this events on the surface so we have to make a choice it's not like you know oh no 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 people are dying this is happening that is happening we must do this that then do this and that and whole world all the time is doing this and that but what is this that has become that this we must discover so idea the mind can concentrate upon the idea concentration is the key here so it could be the idea of an aspect of the divine or the divine himself that god is in all all is in god and god is all so this way when we start living life it begins to change our it has practical implications imagine somebody is living with this idea that god is in all will he ever hate anybody he may engage in a fight like arjuna and duryodhan he may say that well i am on this side arjuna and karna so come let's have holiday of a fight but he will not say oh i hate karna he is such a horrible guy no no he will not say that he will even appreciate him oh poor fellow why are you standing on the wrong side of history so that's the this knowledge of oneness and the one doesn't confuse us with regard to action it gives us the right clue to action so that's what shri krishna again reveals into the uh, into the gita in the gita first it speaks about krishna krath and all the karmas have to be done in that state and it would mean imply sometime there are sides sometime there are different aspects you have to choose but we never lose sight of the one and the oneness so that should be the concentration on the divine or the second possibility is mind may completely concentrate not even on the idea of the divine or uh, an aspect of the divine but just on the eternal and that's what some people enter into eventually nirvikalp samadhi done with everything but it's very difficult and it requires a certain degree of withdrawal from the world but it can be done and the third kind of concentration which leads to knowledge is to witness this entire play then we see how much we are bound by habits not just habits of the body but habits of the mind even illness mother says even death is a habit so when the mind is liberated from the physical body because we realize i am not this body so what happens after some time the mind becomes mind is a mediator a divinity we discover that it can impact upon the body so when the body is going into a, a field which is dangerous the mind says no harm will come to you no illness there is no illness see when we go into hospital how the formation of illness comes before the doctor diagnoses 
you step into a hospital and you start thinking, what's going on? Most deaths are in the hospital, by the way. And people rush into it like into the jaws of death. Sorry to say that. But that's how, because there is so much fear, atmosphere, so much anxiety. All Every place you have a specialist written there. This is a specialist for the stomach. And you think, oh, my stomach, there is a problem. I have to consult him. Then you go to a radiologist. Oh, what is he going to diagnose? TB to nahi hai, cancer. Not even TB. Human mind, first it thinks cancer. Two days you have a problem, cancer. So, because you have entered a hospital setup, if you didn't, if you are lucky never to go to a doctor, you got to be known, you said, okay, my stomach is a little upset, doesn't matter, few days you'll become all right. Oh, my knees are giving me some trouble. Or, as Amrita said, my sweetheart is giving me some trouble <laughs> when the, there is a heart problem. What happens? Nature takes care, and after a while, okay, you can't cure everything because there's still the habit of death and deterioration in the cells. You go, but you don't go with all this fear and ventilator and all the trap suits. You know, you don't know the difference between Yamadut and Devadut. So, that's not a good state to go in with a label of a tremendous, terrific illness. It's terrifying, but it's the result of the ignorance in which we live. So when we learn to witness, we see everything is a question of habit. Even hunger and thirst is a habit. It can go to that extent. But a habit which we right now cannot finish because then the flesh is dependent. Not just I can be free from the habit inwardly, any of us. But the flesh will begin to grow weak. So that's why the problem of the body. But one has to be freed from subjection to the body. Again we go back to same thing. She toshna sukh dukeshu hani labho jaya jayo. She toshna. Oh, body is feeling very cold. I need a blanket, need a blanket. Look at the Tibetan lamas. You know when somebody has to become a lama, head lama. He has to uh, whole night <laughs> with minus something temperature. Sit near a cold river. Dip the blanket. Wear it around his body and warm it with the heat of his body generated through tapasya. Wait a second, 21 times. <laughs> All night. <laughs> I don't know, I've never seen it true, but I, I was in Ladakh and that's where I heard this story. I don't know its authenticity. But that, to that extent you can train the body. The body is not a slave to everything, but it's freed. Similarly, the understanding can be freed from all conceptions. And then we have the true and pure understanding entering into the brain. As Shobindu says, the golden light came down into my brain. The grey rooms of my mind, sun touched became. A bright reply to wisdom's occult plane. A calm illumination and a flame. This was the gritam of the rishis. When they, and if we are driven by appearances, we start believing in all the things that we hear and see coming from well-informed sources. Then we are going far from knowledge into the depths of ignorance. There must be this will to find what is the truth behind it. Not through reading all the papers, um, scientific journals and all this. But by the sheer power of concentration, we can discover the truth behind everything. That is the state in which yogin goes. So it's not just a knowledge of the essence that God is in all, but God in the manifestation, God in the play, God in the march of civilizations, God in that moment beat of time. Then only we can express him and manifest him. So by witnessing also we can arrive. Then we can even discard the thoughts. But all this is very difficult. But very powerful method. If we can learn to witness and discard the thoughts, then it becomes wonderful and easy to arrive at the true knowledge. But the simplest process is through the concentration on the idea, on a name, 
on a form, on an image. But a time must come when we should pass beyond the image to the reality it represents. That's what is described in Sri Ramakrishna's story where he is a bhakta of bhaktas. He dances to the you know, music of Kali and the moment for him, Kali was present always. And then he has a guru called Totapuri. Now he is a Jnan Yogi. So Sri Ramakrishna was trying everything because he had to prove to the world that well, uh, any path you follow, you will reach the divine. This was his work. And quite naturally, he prepared the ground for Shurabindu to come in and said, not only in any path, traditional paths, you discover the divine, but all is the divine. Even the material world is trying to express the divine. The final synthesis. But when Totapuri tells him that, what do you see in your deepest meditation? He says, I see Kali. He says, take a sword and cut her. Now, this is very difficult for him. It's an impossibility. He says, unless you do that, you won't discover Kali. And then he does it and discovers the truth of Kali. Mirabai, when she is singing and dancing to the tune of Krishna and she steps out of the house because she makes a choice that I want Krishna rather than my household and the prestige and everything, she carries a gold idol of Krishna. And one night she sleeps outside and that gold idol is stolen naturally. you know, <laughs> What is for you the ultimate world redeemer is for somebody just a piece of gold which can give money. That's how our relation with the divine is. We can either find the divine with all of him or we can say your value is only to give me gold. So he will give gold but we won't find him. So this thief takes away. And then Mira gets up in the morning and says, what is this? The only support I carried with me you have taken away. And then Krishna appears and says, do you really know me? Come, I'll reveal to you. This was beautifully, there's a dance drama written on this by Dilip Kumar Roy. Long back I had seen it and uh, very beautifully that, you know, Krishna reveals who he is. You see, Shurabindo's poem, we have the Krishna who is, you know, all the time in a certain posture. How he reveals Krishna, both the poems, critics as well as the sonnet. But in critics, how does he, oh, spirit, uh, boundless space, what is, what is hidden in the heart of space and time? Light, supreme, that is Krishna. And when you see it, and, but he also becomes Krishna in the play. Red lips that kiss and blow the flute, hands that clasp. All of this is he, all he loves, all he moves, all are his, all are he. So this is how we have to enter into that integral knowledge by the power of concentration. And along with concentration, there is another thing which goes hand in hand. So Sri says concentration is one wing of the yoga and renunciation is the other wing. So renunciation is when we concentrate, we have to leave behind certain things. The two don't go together. So just as Prem Gali Ati Sakari Tame Doman Nasamai, Jab Mai Thata Bhari Nahi, Jab Hari Tab Mai Nahi. This duality will present at every stage. And what is the knot of that duality that has to be cut is the ego sense. In the yoga works, we do it by saying, I am not the doer. Here, I am not this little limited personality which people know as Mr. So-and-so, you know, people are very eager to have their names. I don't know, God knows where all, <laughs> till one day the name itself. So, this is how one has to go beyond all these names and forms to discover the one eternal. So, renunciation means all supports of egoism, all that strengthens the egoism, all that pampers and flatters our ego self, 
all that panders to the ego all that satisfy my feeling of ambition that i am someone or something we can be either someone or something or we can be one thing and one so this has to be left aside this is nothing to do with external renunciation we think of renunciation as something outward but renunciation is by its nature an inner process tyaga not sanyasa shobindu says that and he says that how subtle a thing ego can be that people unconsciously put on the dress and the garb in a certain setting which people think will be appreciated so there are places where they will put only white why because suddenly you are catapulted to the level of a yogi or you have to wear dhoti of a certain color or garb of a certain color well it could be your dress or uniform of service but very often it is done to project that one is something or someone so this renunciation the ego can come everywhere or shubhendu gives the example in renunciation of lord rama that when there is rama is renunciate of the renunciates look at him that's why shiva loves him who could just abandon a kingdom at just one moment and walk away for 14 years and for the sake of the raj dharma even leave aside his wife knowing that he will be all his generations will tell him that you are not god but there is something else he is who can risk his whole life to challenge the army of the mighty asura so typical renunciate sanyasi would have said what is there neither i have a wife nor i have a kingdom kingdom i had left wife i had to leave good riddance the asura has taken away such is god's will let me do bhaj govindam bhaj govindam bhaj govindam mudmate no rama doesn't do that because he is a renunciate he is a true renunciate he says no the action will not be guided by any personal preference but by the dictates of the eternal the will within him that has developed is to slay the asura so renunciation is not outer renunciation but an inner renunciation the one who follows this path is bound to arrive at an expanding knowledge of the divine not only within above but in the entire cosmic play even within the individual life unfolding itself in manifold ways so i'll just read a little passage from shurbindo and then we can okay so so he speaks about uh, concentration we have uh, already spoken about now probably okay. we take up this aspect because in the yoga of knowledge you also practice detachment because this detachment is again not detachment for the sake of it you know it has nothing to do with all see mental conceptions i am a vegetarian so god must come to me hitler was a vegetarian also Uh, you know there are all kinds of ideas people have about god being pleased by these things and that thing what do we know he only knows the sincerity of the seeker so here i'll read just one thing renunciation and enjoyment it will be seen that the scope we give to the idea of renunciation is different from the meaning currently attached to it currently its meaning is self denial inhibition of pleasure rejection of the objects of pleasure self denial is a necessary discipline for the soul of man because his heart is ignorantly attached inhibition of pleasure is necessary because his sense is caught and clogged in the mud honey of sensuous satisfaction look at the beauty of the language 
rejection of the objects of pleasure is imposed because the mind fixes on the object and will not leave it to go beyond it and within itself. Then how do we understand Krishna? And here comes. If the mind of man were not thus ignorant, attached, bound even in its restless inconstancy, deluded by the forms of things, renunciation would not have been needed. It is the problem is of ignorance. The soul could have travelled on the path of delight from the lesser to the greater, from joy to diviner joy. At present this is not practicable. It must give up from within everything to which it is attached in order that it may gain that which they are in the reality. The external renunciation is not the essential. But even that is necessary for a time indispensable in many things and sometimes useful in all when crude natures require it. We may even say that a complete external renunciation is a stage through which the soul must pass at some period of its progress. It's a stage, not the last word. Though always it should be without those self-willed violences and fierce self-torturings which are an offense to the divine seated within us. This renunciation is not like shrinking. The one who has realized the self does not shrink from anything. It is very gentle. Okay, We can leave it without violence. Okay, I will not fast. We have this problem of fasting, you know. And at the end of fasting, we eat like an auger. Nobody seems to lose weight except temporarily. These violences are not required. That's why the mother puts in the dining room. Eat. Only that which you need. It's not like give up food. But eat all the time, but eat only that much which you need. That's what is required. So very simple. But in the end, this renunciation of self-denial or self-denial is always an instrument and the period for its use passes. The rejection of the object ceases to be necessary when the object can no longer ensnare us. Because what the soul enjoys is no longer the object as an object, but the divine which it expresses. Even the most material things. The mother says, to, be, uh, we, to take care of, not to take care of material things is a sign of inconscience. We must take care of them not because we are attached to them, but because they contain within themselves the consciousness, the one consciousness. See how much this knowledge can go into making this world a better place. It's when India forgot the Gita, and took to this kind of Vedanta where, you know, it uh, renunciation means uh, leave everything and walk away that India fell. But look at Sri Krishna's renunciation. Tyaga, he asked Arjun to engage in a battle. Delight of the divine in all things equally without the need of a personal or physical position of the thing itself. It's not mine, it is today with me. Use it divinely. It may pass on to other hands. Let it go divinely with freedom. It's field when the soul no longer claims anything. This is mine. Even the people who when they print their books, you know, they ask, how is my book doing? <laughs> Nothing. What is yours? Mother was against intellectual property rights. You have to put your name because news has to hang on somebody. <laughs> somebody is responsible for what has been written. But all this idea, this is my idea. So all this is ignorance. 
but obeys consciously the will of the one self in all beings it is then that we are freed from the law and released into the liberty of the spirit knowledge is that which sets us free ya vidya cha vimuktai why because it shows us the one behind all things namaste so we can have uh, questions now yes yes i've got a weird question um, doesn't matter <laughs> So, Questions are never weird. Answers are weird. So please ask. <laughs> so while you while you are so I have had that thought before. Um, so I was just while you are experiencing the the one and the eternal, mm-hmm. and you know every atom and stuff. So I was just imagining myself or you know just a human body, which kind of uh, over a period of time it 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 shrinks and eventually it gives up. um and i was imagining you know the the whole conception of oneness probably the body goes in, into into the fire and the soul goes up it up it comes again um so how does i mean how does that relate to the the knowledge that we have all heard in the shastras and all that the soul keeps learning um how how uh, how does that fit uh, in terms of the integral knowledge and okay. sure concept yeah so the problem with the traditional understanding is that the soul enters into this creation which is a snare and then at some point it discovered that i am in a state of snare and deluded and wants to go back to the eternal now obviously that makes no sense that why would it start the adventure why would it get into all this cycle through a very long painful process it has to rediscover what it already was at the beginning it gives a Uh, lie even to god himself and you know god's intelligence becomes questionable so now the purpose of the soul is basically this world is the manifestation of the divine the delight so now to manifest the divine the one has to become many now each soul is a a portion of the one it knows it it holds within itself delight that's why it is sometimes described as eater of the honey it can turn all experience into delight it is the carrier of truth satyavan it knows this truth and it has lives in that state of delight its nature is love so it's always full of madhuram madhuram but when it enters into the field of nature through which it has to manifest it is not that in one go it can release this uh, entire you know darkness into the state of uh, the 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 supramental truth or the divine manifestation it is intended to be it has to be step by step because if it is too sudden there'll be no manifestation the other day uh, i was reading this uh, sufi story somebody had sent the sun in the cave where the sun went in the cave and darkness vanished but that's not what we want we want the darkness to be illumined progressively so that the cave remains and it becomes a beautiful cave otherwise if everything vanishes then there is no creation so this is a process through which forms which are the units of manifestation as you beautifully said the human body look at the journey beyond before the human body atoms coming together material world living world plants animals and human beings and within it the soul so this entire journey is to manifest something of the eternal little by little but still it is very veiled very partial but in human beings the difference that takes place is human beings at a certain stage can discover the will of the eternal and consciously try to execute the plan 
so we can take the example of the person who is right at the bottom of a you know company or let us say the electrical whole setup so there is a person who is the mechanic who uh, comes and sets right uh, you know when the fuse is gone he puts the wire and sets the fuse right even that people can't do you know correctly but at least there is because they don't have the knowledge what it means so they know that wire has to be changed right up to the man who knows about electricity and knows that the entire system is faulty we can draw electricity from the sun so this is the difference so but initially these steps were needed for the human mind to reach a point where it knows that we can have panels get the electricity from the sun and light up a whole village so this is how the journey goes the soul develops and learns and grows not just to discover that it is a portion of the eternal but more importantly why it has entered into the play and that its entry is to express the delight the truth the sat the chit the force the will the consciousness the wisdom and the ananda of the eternal in many fold ways through form and name and what we call today is the appearances the appearances too much change to express the truth so once it knows it then it is free inside liberated but it enters into the play now with this full awareness so it is this missing link in traditional understanding which uh, you know um, makes a whole uh, hodgepodge of our you know what is this worldly life what is that other worldly life the moment we understand the world is god fulfilled in outwardness then we understand the purpose of our soul so the integral knowledge reveals to us in everything not only integral knowledge is god and his ways even in science in physics in medicine there is a truth which is trying to manifest now the moment the soul is open to this truth and i could you know take countless examples practical examples but you know positive of time now for instance healing there was a fight going on between ayurveda and allopathy and all that now it's very interesting to see that nature works along several lines simultaneously it's like when a house is being built it is not just brick and mortar and cement there is the electricity there is the plumbing and each has its own place and own role so when we look at the way the this grand architecture of this world is being built then every knowledge the sciences what is the role of sciences it is to discover the ways of the divine wisdom expressing itself into the world when god becomes a flower or a rock it is process there is a whole process beginning from above right up to the atomic existence science must discover it physics must discover it when there is something known as self healing when an energy from within heals us our healing sciences must discover the process it could take it could you know express itself in countless ways in chemistry in everything so this is where the integral knowledge comes in that it is not just confined to discovering god in some essence inside but the play of god in manifold ways in every field of human experience in every endeavor effort there should be the expression of the divine that's why we have in india you know in in dances you have nataraj in sangeet in music it again goes back to shiva and krishna and then in sciences in healing it goes back to dhanvantri and bharadwaj you know aspiring to bring the nectar of immortality we have the nectar of immortality which goes back so in everything we have this that there is a truth which is manifesting that's what integral knowledge is about not just truth in essence but truth in manifestation 
that makes it integral in every aspect in every part and plane of our being in our mind our heart in our life in our body in every aspect of existence that is the integral knowledge we aspire in this yoga so that the world can become a wonderful place not just i mean a world can fulfill the purpose for which it is not for any individual even the uh, uh, wish for moksha individual salvation is an illusion which the soul must abandon to discover the integral knowledge anybody who is wanting to escape from the world that's what we see the isha upanishad reminding us andham tama pravishanti those who worship after ignorance they are in darkness but those who go only into the light enter into a denser darkness so one has to learn to link the infinite and the finite and that's what integral knowledge is about otherwise is withdrawal from the finite into the infinite that is the traditional knowledge yoga of knowledge but integral knowledge is the outpouring of the divine into every aspect of life yes any any other question alokda yes please uh, there is a interesting experience about intuition how to develop this intuition to gain knowledge yes wonderful very practical by quietening the mind and the discursive intellect we can awaken to intuition intuition is already there in life if you look at the atom isn't it intuition operating that it brings order out of chaos if you look at the biological world what we call as instinct of the species instinct of the species is a reflex of intuition in ignorance even within our body intuition operates how does it operate when there is a cut see how it it works it's very interesting question so if there is a cut when we didn't know about medicine didn't know about sepsis didn't know about tetanus so what happened and even now it happens all the white blood cells starts working and they attack that site without the operation of the mind conscious mind there is a mind of the cells but this is the action of intuition at the most physical level when we are about to fall children make just the right gesture so what comes to hinder our intuition is the development of this rational discursive intellect it is a stage which has come and i am not denying its usefulness at a certain stage of evolution when we are climbing out of the animal toward animal uh, nature mind to the divine intuition we have to go through the rational intellect that's how we organize the animal consciousness but to develop intuition this rational mind has to learn to keep quiet you know that's why we see the typical setting of the guru and the disciple where the disciple is you know full of but uh, so and so has written this but so and so has written this so at some point the guru asks but do you want to know all that or do you want to know the one reality so the more the mind becomes quiet so all the practices of idea uh, concentrating upon an idea renunciation various conceived preconceived notions all the various opinions uh, systems of thought it has to leave them aside and then it has to concentrate on discovering this knowledge now in the course of trying to discover the divine intuition is the first thing that will come automatically what is intuition intuition is a ray from that sun one can stop at intuition or climb through the rays to the parent sun when one stops at the intuition then one lives in the vedic heaven swarlok which is found by the rays life is beautiful then because you know we can see intuitively the gods play in this world but that's not yet the supramental so when we make the mind quiet peaceful calm 
through various means, through the practice of equanimity, through nishkam karma, by focusing the mind on the one eternal, by stepping back, by becoming a witness, by quietening the discursive mind which is all the time galloping from one event to another on the surface phenomena, then the mind at some point begins to fall quiet because it has been trained now to seek the eternal. And when it turns thus inward and upward in search of the eternal, it automatically discovers the intuition which was always within it. So quietening the mind through various processes, bringing peace into the mind, opening to the light above, seeking the eternal, automatically intuition will begin to develop. Thank you very much. I think there is a question from Vesa. Uh, yes. I met him uh, when you were here in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, please go ahead. Yes, sir, you can ask. Uh, yes, I can. I can ask. Um, I'm, I'm curious how the works of uh, Devana Gupta, Ksemaraja from oh. the Tantric Masters, how they have uh, influenced the, the philosophy, works and realization of uh, Sri Aurobindo. I'm uh, curious about this and uh, would like to hear. Yeah. So there are some correspondences between certain aspects of traditional teaching and Sri teachings. And very often people speak about Abhinav Gupta because he brings in this element of what today we know as the Vishishtadvaita, which uh, comes very close to understanding creation in the light of uh, this greater knowledge wherein we don't negate the universe. So Abhinav Gupta brings in a synthesis of Tantra and Vedanta. I, I, I don't uh, claim to know all about Abhinav Gupta but the little that I am aware of him. And therefore it comes close to reconciling God and nature. Now this aspect is very beautifully runs aligned to in a way to Shurbindo. Shurbindo himself was not influenced by that thought because he went through his own realizations. In fact even the Vedic thought after realizing, he discovered in the Vedas, which he says himself, that, oh, there is somebody who can psychologically explain it. And of course, the mother was very far. She, was, she never, in all likelihood, outwardly knew about Abhinav Gupta, nor did Sri Aurobindo. There is no mention of him anywhere in the entire literature. But I am aware that, you know, there are, uh, you know, certain correspondence of people think. It's like people speak about Bergson's, uh, you know, about intuition or uh, Teilhard de Chardin's view that, you know, there will be evolution or Nietzsche's view. But it is not these which influence Shurabindo. So this is the one part. He went into his own realizations. And obviously he gave truths which somewhat correspond to certain past years. Vedanta itself, is, it starts from this one without a second, which is there in Vedanta. The other aspect, what is different is, the different is that though there is a, um, you know, understanding about the play of energies and, uh, you know, the one self, which is behind. But what is missing is the purpose of manifestation and its entire evolutionary journey. It's only a, like a Trikal Darshi who could see that, well, it is tending towards a divine fulfillment. And this fulfillment, of course, Tantra speaks of enjoyment. But it uses the word enjoyment to ultimately pass into the eternal. That's where the Tantra also ends. But Shurabindu speaks of eventually the divine fulfillment in the universe through, you know, man who is the link. And of course, the coming of the new race and the next evolutionary step. So all that is not there. But yes, the thought runs up to a point very close and parallel to Shurabindu's. 
they didn't know each other in terms of time but surely truth is one and you know different people have received it at different points of time in a similar way um as we are doing this during the international day of yoga yeah and we just put some light on what shermanda had said about hatha yoga because now as we see okay. the yoga lights so basically the principle is the same that anything within us can become a door of entry towards the eternal so in raj yoga it is through the mind that one you know uh, breaks the habits into which the mind runs and through yama and niyama and by concentration it arrives at samadhi this is the raj yoga uh, it also uses certain practices of pranayama and then in the in raj yoga in classical patanjali raj uh, you know yoga sutras we also see mentioned uh, about asanas which is a preliminary to finding the divine so there are two ways of looking at hatha yoga one is that it is a preliminary preparation that's how most people use it today if the body is restless if the life energies are restless even if the mind wants to concentrate it cannot concentrate so it's important to uh, make the body quiet still Uh, though in shubhendra yoga it can be done through other means but i am not going into it that but basically hat yoga but on the other hand hat yoga in its origin not hat yoga as it is practiced today because that was a time when people were deh chinmay they were so conscious of the body in all its aspects and they had the time fortunately not like the hectic life of today so they discovered ways and means the points the marmas through which this energy within the body could be concentrated so there are points in the body through which the life energy rushes into the physical system so they found the ways and means how this energy which is concentrated within the body and lost in matter matter is the last end point how to awaken him it by concentrating upon these points and tearing the shell and releasing this energy into the life worlds and from there they could take it upwards through pranayam and the kundalini yoga so principle was that there is this tremendous energy involved in matter which has to be awakened and they use these points of concentration so if you see any asana or bandha if we really focus our consciousness on to the physical spots we'll see there are spots where there is a strain not strain in the way we understand i mean it should not be done in a state of strain but gradually we can increase it further and further so these straining points are the points which are regarded as the in modern parlance we use the word acupressure but they are the points through which the life energy through the nerves is entering into the physical body and getting lost into the physical processes through so through hatha yoga what can start releasing it by impacting those points and opening the doors to the universal vital energy which is all around and many hatha yogis would stop there because it gives a lot of siddhis all the anima garima lagima mahima are result of this kind of opening into the universal vital but it can even aggrandize the ego so these are the dangers of just stopping it there that's why patanjali says this is a preliminary preparation then you have to pranayama this tremendous energy how do you regulate it so you have to yama literally is to uh, you know further channelize it so you have yama and niyama through which this energy is channelized through the pranayama process breath through which it is regulated and then finally the mind this energy feeds the mind to merge into the eternal so stand alone hatha yoga would not really uh, i mean it would create a very powerful being but i mean that powerful being could be asuric or god like 
So the right way is to use Hatha Yoga. Those who want to use it in Shobindu Yoga, it's not necessary. Except those who want to really do it, it's fine. There is no nishad. In Shobindra's yoga, some people prefer hot yoga. Some people prefer to take a walk or other exercises, but with the right consciousness. And most importantly, when the spiritual consciousness descends, it automatically makes the body still and makes the breath a subtle stream. That's the way in Shobindra's yoga it works. But anyways, hot yoga is good because it gives the body also health and vitality, youthfulness, disease-free state, which is important to uh, you know uh, even life. No, leave aside finding God, but even in life. But what we practice today is not the classical hot yoga. We are practicing asanas which are good enough to regulate the life energy, the prana which gets blocked, and because it gets blocked, there is illness. As you know, pranic healers know very well that is because of congestion or depletion of life energy. So when we do the asana and the pranayama, we allow it free circulation. Today we are doing only that much in the practice of asana and pranayama. But hot yoga, yoga means union with the divine. That requires hours and hours. I know one hot yogi used to be in Bangalore who would do eight hours sustained uh, Suri Namaskar. Because then energy being released from matter and released into the divine, that requires tremendous effort. So what we practice today is good for uh, as a preliminary step for being healthy, uh, even quietening the mind to an extent and then using the mind for higher purposes. But hot yoga, where only the body was used for union with the divine, to give it longevity, everything, it was a very elaborate and very very complex practice. But even then, because the cells were still formed in the old animal way, it would not grant immortality to the body, but it could prolong the life for those who were keen only on the hot yoga process to a long long time. Shubhendu uses the word dhruv practiced it, the old. Lemurian kings, they are the ones who practice the Hatha Yoga. Ravana practiced, Hiranyakashu practiced Hatha Yoga. So you will often see him sitting in one posture for many hours, standing on one leg. So that, that is the kind of original Hatha Yoga. Namaste.